Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. My name is Brian. And we are here with another abortion video. I know we've done like 40 of these, uh, I think, on our channel. Actually, might four. Might be a pet topic. It might be a pet topic. <laughs> uh, but this is actually a, a, a kind of a split this episode, our other segment where we're going to just have a conversation regarding a hot topic. So we're going to split it. And one of the things is about this topic today, what we're covering is uh, extra notes. So many of you guys know the fact that we had kind of a run in with Brenda at God is Great. Um, we had a great conversation with her, very nice, very cordial. She was very friendly. Yeah. Um, but we had a lot of notes <laughs> that we didn't get to get to. Uh, we had a lot of research and things. And as I mentioned in that video in my intro, it, you know, the first hour was dealing with things that were maybe possibly attached to unwanted pregnancy, but not attached to the issue of abortion itself. And you and I were really trying to get to the topic of abortion. And we didn't want it to be six hours long either. Yeah, we don't want it to be six hours long. Since <laughs> you, was long enough. You, me, and Brenda all talk in paragraphs. We don't know how to speak in bullet points. So one of the things that kept, kept coming to mind throughout that, of course, I had to really pull back on the theology topics. I was like, Will, you disagree a lot on the theology. And I might do a rebuttal video on her theological uh, mishaps in it, but it was nice just for us to kind of go build a framework. Yeah. But today I don't want to be... Um, I mean, a framework of like her beliefs, so that way we know where we contrary. But anyway, um, but today uh, we don't want to make it all about Brenda, but we did want to come, we did a lot of work. So we want to make sure we bring this data to you. We're going to have, I think, the spreadsheet available uh, in, our, in the description below for you guys to download where we have some of this data. So anyway, without no further ado, we're going to jump into the research that we did on abortion and then also the biblical stuff at the end. We're going to have timestamps, I think, throughout the video yeah. on the various different topics. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for joining us today on Split This here at the Church Split. So I think there might be a theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, go ahead, Brian. Well, I think uh, one thing we really wanted to point out, I think we made it clear in the God is Great interview, but just wanted to really kind of start with what our position is based on the data and research and our biblical understanding is that we believe that a legal and cultural approach is necessary to really reduce the number of abortions uh, below the extreme numbers they're at right now. Um, and we think that you know if you just address the legal issue, we have, we have situations like what Brenda talked about in El Salvador where you have uh, teenage girls dying at crazy numbers because they're so terrified of having a baby and they feel like they're trapped. Um, and the, the problem is that is they don't have the cultural part on top of it like maybe Mexico does. And if you address just the cultural part, um, be a lot like the United States where you have places where it's more or less culturally appropriate or uh, allowed um, and, and then that drives some of the legal ideas, but you still have high abortion rates. The United States is in the upper echelon of, of, of the median of countries that are having abortions. So I think we really want to state that that's our premise is it's really culture and uh, legality that really affect this. And if we don't address one or the other, then we're, we're, in a, we're having a problems. Right. And one of the things I wanted to address about that real fast is the fact that Brenda even mentioned, and a lot of pro-choice advocates mentioned, that morality is a, is a distraction, right? Well, it's a distraction from the topic. So why are we talking about morality, whether or not it's moral? We're just talking about how to prevent it. First off, that's ironic, because even talking about preventing something is dealing with a moral issue, right? Like, you're trying to yeah. prevent something, there's a moral issue. But if there's a cultural issue, so we're talking legality and culture. Every legal thing is based on a moral thing. Every law is based on a moral law. Yeah, you're dictating morality through 
Lost. Yeah, exactly. And then cultural, which is what we do with like social, uh, you know, like what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, mm -hmm. also deals with morality. So when someone sits there and says that morality is a distraction, they really, uh, they really haven't thought through what the conclusion of that is, which is, well, if morality is a distraction, then again, morality doesn't matter. So why do we, are we talking about laws and culture anyway? So I think that's a really good point. If you just focus on culture, you're going to miss it. If you're going to focus only on legality, you're going to miss it. And I really wanted to quickly mention as well, that those who say that, well, you can't change everyone's mind, you can't get everyone to agree on abortion, so you know it's just a distraction of it, we just need to try to prevent it. Well, that's also lazy. You know, There's that one point in time when the law of murder, thou shalt not kill, comes to mind, and you know, people had to be convinced that you can't just go kill somebody. You know, and uh, those, yeah. that's an extreme. Or rape. You can't just go raping people. <laughs> so I think it's, it, it's silly when we say that, well, you, we can't even get people to agree on this, so why are you doing that? Well, you know, there has to at some point we have to reach a consensus. Yeah, and I, and I think I want to really address too. I had a discussion with someone who's very pro-choice a couple weeks ago, and they made the point that I thought was interesting that I maybe wasn't clear about is when we talk about legality and, and we compare it to rape, where you want to get the rapists off the streets, they stop raping. The comparison to that from the abortion discussion would be the abortion doctor, not necessarily the woman getting abortion. Uh, one of the main reasons why we're doing this video is because there's a lot of misinformation about abortion in the United States, and and we see women having abortion as another as a sinful action, just like many other things. Um, but a lot of it is done out of ignorance, and while that's not an excuse, I'm not saying we need to lock up all the mothers that that had abortions. I want to get the abortion doctors off the streets so we stop having so much access to killing babies across the country. Right, and I actually think that's a great point to mention as well. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, so you want to lock up all the women? Like, no, a lot of people have no idea. Yeah. They're, they're just lied to on what's going on in an abortion. They haven't thought through things. They were told that it can't feel stuff, which is a lie. They're, there's a lot of misconceptions. So I think, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, and when it comes to things, like again, like the culture and these various, uh, one of the things that came to mind was racism. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, everyone, or at least a vast majority of people, thought racism was okay. Hence why it's okay for me to use the N-word on black people and consider them worse than me and, and make them my slave. Yeah. Well, what if somebody came in with the exact same argument and said, well, why are you even trying to do that? You're not going to get everyone to agree with you anyway. Yeah, slavery is a great, a great It's a great a comparison. Great <laughs> so it, it's, it's silly uh, to, to sit there and say that these things are distractions when in reality we just need to have a, some sort of consistency. So anyway, uh, I'm sorry about getting on there. So I feel like this is going to be a two-hour video. It's going to be a two-hour video or four. Hang on tight, grab your popcorn. Um, or we're boring and just click off. But uh, so the thing is that there are countries, as you mentioned before, there are places that with – uh, there's where there's legality, but the culture doesn't reflect it, like El Salvador. And there's places with culture, but not the legality, and we also see high abortion rates. Mm -hmm. So really, it's dealing with the legality and the culture, and I think that's going to be a huge point here. Culture is a huge thing that our entire culture yeah. ignores. They exactly. don't understand culture, and I think it's a thing with the United States being the melting pot, and a lot of times they don't realize that we have a culture ourselves, but anyway. Uh, so there are places, though, with no limits on abortion as well. So uh, in some states, even the United States of America, have no uh, no limits on abortion. And it looks like you, you got the spreadsheet pulled yeah, up. So, so we'll what you got into, there? We'll dive into the state comparison, which I think is really good. Um, and that's something I put together. This is from a several different sources that we'll have listed. Um, but 
really wanted to look at, okay, because originally we were trying to respond to Brenda, right? And, and Brenda's premise, one of her premises was that that the more um, open to abortion the laws are, it turns into less abortion. And I was like, man, I really hope that's not true. It doesn't feel like it's true, but uh, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong. So we really did the did analysis of it. So, And you'll see this on the spreadsheet when you can download it, but D.C., so we're calling D.C. a state. So D.C., New York, and New Jersey have essentially no restrictions with regard to abortion. And those three are at the top of the list of abortion rate at 33%, 33%, and 30%. Um, so that's that's very high. Those are also places that um, there's varying degrees of, of wealth um, and poverty. And that's one thing a lot of people that are pro-abortion will point to is, oh, it's a poverty problem. And we'll address that more in a little bit. But then if we look down at the places with the least amount of abortion, so the top, the bottom, I don't know, was it 15? We got Indiana, Oklahoma, South Carolina, West Virginia, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Idaho, Utah, South Dakota, and Wyoming all have single-digit um, uh, abortion rates. And most of those have, or all of those have very restrictive abortion laws as much as Roe v. Wade allows them to have. Ironically, South Dakota, which has a 4%, abortion rate actually has a law on the books right now that says once Roe v. Wade is, is repealed, it will ban abortion immediately. Which I thought <laughs> was kind of an interesting thing, and it really shows the legality that they're looking at. And Wyoming is at the bottom of the list at 2%. So you look at 2% at the very bottom of all the states in the country versus the very top, D.C. and New York, at 33%. That's a, that's a massive difference. So I think we can at least conclude that from some level of legality, there there seems to be a reduction of abortion. Now, I think we can also make the argument here that culture is very much impactful. Wyoming, South Dakota, Utah, those places are, are very much against abortion. There's a reason why their laws reflect that as well. Right, absolutely. Which And there's places like New York and whatnot, which are consistently more liberal, if we can use that term here. I understand there's a difference between classical liberalism and, of course, what we would call like leftist liberalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, we see that there is a, Cultural difference. I mean, in New York, which is funny, one of the, and it's not funny, but it's funny as an ironic that during a time of such racial divide that we're experiencing in our country, that the people who talk about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff, which I agree, Black Lives do matter, uh, then why are we aborting more babies than they're being born in places like New York? Mm -hmm. Literally, babies are boarded more in New York City than they are born. And that exposes a lot of issues there. So then there's other countries with no limits as well, like Canada. China, and North Korea. Yeah. And those have varying degrees of, of abortion rates. And so, but I think when you really consider it that the United States is at the same level of China and North Korea from legality of abortion that in most things that should make you concern if we're following North, Carolina, or North uh, Korea and China with regard to respect of human life, I think that that's pretty pretty damning as far as yeah um, our culture. Yeah, and exactly. So places like China, which doesn't value life, it values the nationalism, if you will. And same with North Korea. That's what communism is all about, really. Mm-hmm. Is this weird sense of of, of a nationalism and communism. Uh, but yeah, and then there's other facts that people need to understand here. Which again, you know, abortion is. It's advertised, for lack of a better term, as feminist, right? It is pro-women. 
Women have a choice. Uh, we had somebody I went to the church for a while that said, well, I believe it's a woman's choice to make that. Even though they were like, I'm against abortion, but I believe it's a woman's choice. I'm like, one of these things is not like the other. But uh, due to sex-selective abortion, due to sex-selective abortion, more girls in the world are actually aborted than boys. For those of you who don't know, my wife and I are expecting a little girl come December. And because of the fact that boys tend to carry the family name and the bo they want a male legacy, women get aborted more. Mm -hmm. Places like China yeah, and North they Korea, they, they will do that. Uh, other, other facts we, we looked up. So um, abortions being used to actually wipe out certain, um, certain symptoms or certain uh, uh, genetic uh, abnormalities like Down syndrome, Iceland in, in 2017 actually proclaimed that they cured Down syndrome. And by cured, they meant that they, they got rid of all the babies that were, that were going to have Down syndrome through abortion. Um, and they celebrated that, which is, is very, very sad. And I, I, don't, I, I really honestly can't understand how anyone could celebrate that. As having known several people with Down syndrome, they're some of the most uh, full of life, um, faithful people I've met. So it's like, I, and and there was even a, um, a guy with Down syndrome. I think it was last year, 2019. Actually, went in front of Congress and and petitioned to Congress and said, "My life matters. Just because I have a different number of chromosomes than you doesn't mean that you can you deserve to or I deserve to die at the hand of someone and think that they're curing my problem. That's not a cure." Well, it's funny how you, you mentioned that because people talk oftentimes condemn Ayn Rand, right? Mm -hmm. She was this, you know, philosopher. A lot of people didn't like her. And she pushed eugenicism, right? Like she pushed the idea of killing, being able to just abort people with dis disabilities for the sake of the human race. And meanwhile, here we are. We're promulgating the very thing that allows that, which is abortion. In fact, uh, we, had a, we had a medical situation come up with mine and Callie's pregnancy uh, for those who don't know, you know, we've struggled having children. And then, you know, this happened, there's a this possible red flag, and they and one of the things the doctor was talking about was the fact that we could have a chromosomal issue. You remember when we got tested? Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, well, you know, there could be trisamine 18, trisamine 13, all these different trisamines. And uh, they were like, so if this happens, would, is, and I knew what was coming. And they're like, is termination an option? Do, you know, termination could be an option. And I was like, no, it's not. And they're like, oh, okay. And then uh, I remember even when we were doing the ultrasound, I'm sitting there seeing my daughter fluttering around. By the way, she's fine. Everything seems to be very low rate and everything. They're like, never mind. I think we're good. But, uh, you know, when they're checking, I just remember troll. You, you heard me. I was trolling the nurse. I'm like, oh, isn't that a beautiful clump of cells that's just bouncing around and kicking the crap out of you? Like, yeah. anyway. Uh, and, and I think if you if you apply that logic to any other disease, um, you would be considered very heartless. If you said, "Well, I think we can solve our, all heart disease by just murdering everyone that has heart disease," <laughs> or "I think we can cure cancer if we just kill everyone that ends up with a cancer diagnosis," everyone's going to go, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, my mom's like a four-time cancer survivor. No, I'm, I'm happy that she's with us, and I'm happy that she was able to beat it. And cure, curing something is not killing people with it. And and the idea that we it's like see quite that, the opposite, <laughs> and you really see that with the abortion argument, right? Where you see the the idea that we apply two different standards. Well, they're still in the womb, so we can say killing them is cure, and we can say that uh, they're a clump of cells, and we can say um, you know th that's not a real human life. And then, well, once they're out of the womb, whoo, well, well, you can't do that. And we even asked Brenda that and said, would you be okay with killing a one-year-old? And ironically, the first thing she responded with was, no, that's illegal. 
I was like, exactly. Now you're coming to our point. You immediately don't think that's okay, not necessarily from a moral reasons, but actually because of the legality. Yeah, exactly. And again, you can't calling a mur killing, killing, or removing someone entirely from existence a cure. Gets kind of dark. Like you know what? I could cure all racism, Brian, right now if we just killed every human being. Yeah. Racism disappears. That's a very nihilistic view. <laughs> yeah, like really, like that's your way of curing things. Like okay, uh, Ultron, you know, <laughs> let's just wipe out humans. Humans aren't important. Let's yeah. let the robots live from now on. Uh, anyway. And the thing is, so this whole idea of, you know, we cured Down syndrome through abortion, of course, that's a, a, a curious argument. Uh, how is that different than the Jews in the Holocaust, right? Yeah. You know, well, oh, we cured the inequality here. We cured the Jew problem by killing them. Yeah. It's the exact same argument. And people don't want, and I know people get all ticked off when you start mentioning the fact that the abortion argument is very similar to the Holocaust or slavery, but it just simply is. You cannot, and here's... I want to get on my horse for two seconds. Let me just hop on my horse. Okay. Okay. One of the biggest things that irritate me is when I start talking to people about, well, philosophically, I was talking about this philosophically. Well, not philosophically, scientifically. I'm like, well, you still lose scientifically. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, something with its own DNA type, blood type, and all that is, is a separate entity than you. You can't claim your body your choice when it's not your body. But philosophically, you have to be consistent. You cannot separate philosophy from anything you do. You do philosophy every single day. Yeah. You do philosophy every single day when you look at, when you value the ch your child's life. That is a philosophy. There is something that comes from that. There's a reason for that. You know, we would say it's because we're creating an image of God, and we know this. We can defend that argument. But the whole point here is that when you're saying, when we're saying it's similar, it's just, how is this any different than the Jews in the Holocaust? It's because we're saying there's a philosophy here. The philosophy is these people are less valuable because of X, Y, and Z. So therefore, why don't we apply that same philosophy to everything else? Yeah. When we start pigeonholing, when we start pigeonholing our arguments or choosing to be selective in our arguments. We have, we're being philosophical, but we're being inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So being, a con and that's what can be frustrate people is the fact that being a consistent philosopher, being a consistent moral, uh, moral agent, these things are what are important. So anyway, I'll jump off my high horse and not take well, two hours on, on that. Just for a second. Okay, pretty you can have my horse. If you get upset with the comparison between abortion and slavery or abortion and the Holocaust, you are just mad that your viewpoint is inconsistent and you're upset that someone's pointed it out. I'm sorry, that is probably a harsh thing to say, but from a moral perspective, they're the same. And in both situations with the Holocaust and um, slavery, it was moral Christians that were crying outrage of it. And they were able to change the culture through action. And that's what we're trying to do is through action by education, by discussion, by not yelling at or screaming at people that we disagree with, but we are very confident that we have both the moral and the scientific high ground on this. Yeah, and it's okay to take someone's philosophy with a scalpel and dissect it. And that's how you're going to change. That's how you really change the culture is making people live what they're, make them face, face, make them confront face to face their beliefs. Yeah. And that is a huge issue we have where it's like, oh, and I, I have this conversation with people um, I go to work with, you know, all the time. Well, well, that just doesn't seem very loving. And it's like, well, who, I can't love someone with truth. Like you have to make people confront their beliefs. Mm -hmm. This is what you're saying. This is the logical conclusion to where you're going. If somebody can follow that same line of logic, you might have a moral stopping point, but that doesn't mean that the logical train stops just because you had a moral stop. 
Does that make sense? Like the yeah. moral train keeps trucking, so you better figure out where where that destination leads you. And it's the truth we're trying to find unity through. Yeah. We think there is an objective truth, and once we can find the objective truth, there's going to be a lot of agreement over it, and agreement will foster unity. Exactly. Or in the words of William Lane Craig, you need to know your philosophical price tag before you pay the price. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Almost like he's a smart man. But anyway, uh, so the thing is, is poverty. Poverty comes up all the time. Well, poverty is in direct correlation with abortion. Brian, what did you find when you went through this? Well, I think a good comparison here is the United States and Mexico. And I don't think we're cherry picking data here, but Mexico um, has one of the lowest abortion rates in the world. And we believe it's very much both tied to culture and legality. But compare the two. United States has roughly a 21% abortion rate, and Mexico is about a 1%. So quite a difference. Um, but when we compare financials between the two countries, United States GDP is almost $16 trillion, which is 13 times what Mexico's is. Could you clarify what GDP is for Gross people? domestic product. So essentially there you it's, go. The, it's the financial output of the country. Um, so that's how much money is being generated through, through work. Um, and then if we look at per capita GDP, which would be per person, so we're, we're normalizing based on the population, and uh, it's th we're, the United States is three times more than Mexico. It's, um, the United States is $45,000 per capita GDP, so it's essentially $45,000 per person financial output. Um, and then we look at gross national income of the country, so the United States is almost $10 trillion, which is 18 times that of Mexico. Again, that's overall not per capita, um, but you can see that you know Mexico is on every measure that you can really look at is uh, financially less well off than the United States. That's why we have a lot of people that try to come from Mexico illegally and legally into the United States because they they believe in the American dream and believe that you can become more financially successful in the United States. But if it's even from a remove the country aspect of, let's look at just the United States. New York, California are some of the most wealthy states in the country. You know, New York is the financial capital of the world, and these are the most wealthy places, and they still have insanely high abortion rates. So I, and, I, and you can make, definitely make the claim that there are a lot of un, uh, impoverished people in those states, and a lot of those people do contribute to abortion. Um, but I think overall, we're talking about wealth. There's, there's such an opportunity for wealth in those areas. There's a possibility for, for growth of your financial standing, and yet we still see high abortion rates. So while there might be some correlation, I wouldn't say that poverty is the causation of, of abortion, at least not the primary factor. Right. Well, and then also the thing is when it comes to that as well, people tend to make mention not only that, but then like, you know, the fact that, well... It says children are expensive as well, so that's why people do this. Well, but we, again, as we see, Mexico, we know, is not very well off. So, yeah, of course, it makes sense that they're going to, you would think, of course, it makes sense that they're going to abort more, but they don't. They actually, quite a bit less. And another interesting thing is, uh, you know, my wife is from uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, more specifically, uh, north of Seattle. And uh, Seattle's hyper liberal. Chaz, anybody? Um, is hyper. Chop. Uh, chop. Sorry. <laughs> Does that mean I misgendered chop? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know the rules anymore. But anyway, they change every day. But the thing is, it's even up there. It's like, okay, but, you, you know, we were just talking, uh, what, 30 minutes ago uh, about 
up there where it's like, okay, you have Boeing, you have Microsoft, you have Apple, you have Amazon, you have all these huge companies where even a house like where I live in would go for like $4 million in Seattle. And it's like, yeah, these people have money. There's a lot of money in that area. Yeah, I guarantee you, you look at the abortion rates, they're going to be a lot higher. In fact, um, I, I've, I've heard plenty of people recently who I've, I found out one of my coworkers had an abortion. And you know why? They just didn't want the kid. And it comes down to that. But we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So, uh, so if you look at states like New York and California, as I mentioned before, with the high wealth, they're the ones still with high abortion. And it's because their cultures are different. In fact, somebody did um, anthropologists. And by the way, if for those of you guys who don't study any anthropology, you really should. If you understand culture and their values, it makes the whole world make a lot more sense. So... If you look at the anthropology of the West Coast versus the East Coast, the East Coast is where the Revolutionary War was primarily fought. Mm -hmm. And guess what? When you're on the East Coast, you find more conservative states. You find more uh, pro-gun people. You find all these different things. And the more West Coast you get, the more you get away from the place where the conflict began, the more you get away from those values and some of these things. And oddly enough, uh, also same with the value of human life. Uh, I find that interesting, but that's not even in our notes. But if you really look at anthropology, it's interesting. But anyway, the thing is, is also uh, we forget the fact. So we're, we're told all the time that Planned Parenthood is, man, it is it is the capital of women's goodness, right? It does so much good, Will. It does so much good. It does so much good. You're focusing on abortion. You're focusing too much on abortion, not on all the good they do. Uh, man, I got to get my parts of the Caribbean quote down. Uh, what is it? Just the whole like, uh, one good deed does not justify or forgive a man of a lifetime of wickedness or something along that nature. I need it. I'm sorry. I got to write that down to keep it on here. I apologize. Well, fact check Will later in the comments. If you will. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the thing is, is people don't under, don't even know the, the history of Planned Parenthood either. No. They just think it's this whole thing where, oh, we're here to take care of impoverished, dis, you know, uh, disenchanted, disenfranchised women. Thank you. But here's, where are some quotes? Let's take some turns here, Brian. You take the first one. Yeah, so Margaret Sanger was the, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and, and uh, she wasn't like the founder for a couple years, and then she was out of it. No, she was very heavily involved in the formation of Planned Parenthood and its mission. Um, so here's uh, one quote from her, which is from um, an article called America Needs a Code for Babies, which is from 1934. And she said, no women shall have the legal right to bear a child, and no man shall, ha should, shall have the right to become a father without a, without a permit for parenthood. So really talk about state control here. So she really wanted the state to issue people permits before they were allowed to have a baby so that they would have desirable offspring. So the state gets to control whether or not you have sex. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that this, the, the people who, <laughs> this is just the irony of it all. Like the people who promulgate so much of like, okay, man, you, you know, you got to, you know, Planned Parenthood is this whole, this whole liberal idea of sex and just you get to get rid of it. And, you know, who are you to legally tell a woman what she can do with her body when literally the pe person who founded Planned Parenthood wants the state to step in yeah. <laughs> and tell somebody whether or not they can have a child let, or have sex because sex leads to children. For those of you who do not know, spoiler alert. Um, but then she also said this, uh, quote, uh, oh, actually, from an autobiography published in 1938, and it's on page 366, she says, I accepted an invitation to talk to the women's branch of the <clears throat> Ku Klux Klan. I was escorted to the platform, was introduced, and began to speak. 
In the end, through simple illustrations, I believed I had accomplished my purpose. A dozen invitations to speak to similar groups were proffered. Now, you remind me again, Brian, what side uh, is the Ku Klux Klan on? They're very much white supremacists. <laughs> That's weird. And so you're saying like a Democratic leftist individual associated this closely with a... With yeah. Ku Klux Klan? They invited oh. her to speak, and she had such a great time, and they agreed with her ideology of Planned Parenthood. Almost like uh, this whole idea of a party switch never happened. Yeah. Well, it's a can, lie. That's a whole other video. <laughs> but I think, too, you can see the proof in the pudding, right? How happy would Margaret Sanger be to know that the more black babies are aborted in New York City than are born? She would consider that a win, because she was against uh, the furthering offspring of, of African-Americans, and she was also against the furthering offspring of those that she considered undesirable from a mental state. So those with Down syndrome, those that were, were not considered uh, high intellect. Right. And actually, we don't have, it doesn't look like we have that quote in here. I had it in my other notes. But look up. She actually said some highly racist stuff. She wanted black babies. She wanted the, the N-word problem to be eliminated through abortion. Just like she wanted Down syndrome and all these other things eliminated through abortion. She considered black people a plight, which I find not only offensive, but immoral and outrageous and disgusting. And so people who promulgate such ideas should be highly condemned because I have very good black friends. Uh, you know, I've, you, you've, you heard me talking to my boss earlier. My boss is black for crying He's out a loud. great guy, too. And I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy him so much. Um, and it's like, you know, one of my, one of my employees, uh, actually two of my employees are also black, and uh, one of them is a good friend of mine that I'm pretty close to. We're really good friends. Uh, but anyway, uh, so such an idea of, of racism uh, in Planned Parenthood, at the founding of Planned Parenthood. And guess what? Look at the areas where Planned Parenthood is oftentimes planted. And notice the black index there, especially at the beginning of it all. Coincidence? Yeah. Call me a conspiracy theorist, I guess. But it was I really meant to be a eugenics program to get rid of the undesirables. Yeah, and for those and who don't know what eugenics is, it is literally thinking that one type of person is more valuable than another type of person in life. So therefore, we should just kill those who are less valuable. To say another way, if you wanted to get rid of those with Down syndrome, you'd say if you killed them all, it'd be a cure. Oops, sorry, Iceland. Um, <laughs> but if your argument is, guys, that was the 1930s, that's not the modern Planned Parenthood, then I would still ask you to prove what is different. Prove to me that they are no longer um, accepting um, uh, donations that can be only for black abortions. Show me where they're not actually targeting black neighborhoods. Show me where they're not actually pushing for abortion all the time. And that they're only offering these other services as, as means to, to cause some gray area or have an argument against it. Um, if you look at the, the, the movie Unplanned from last year, that was uh, Abby um, really made a good point on how they really push for abortions, and, and she got so upset with them because they're asking her to double her abortion rate because that's what made them money. And I know these are all conservative talking points here, and I don't mean to be cliche about it, but there's a lot of truth in what they say here. And this, this battle over if, if Planned Parenthood is moral or not, sorry, it's settled. They're not moral because they are killing people. No, then that, that's all there is to it. <laughs> they're, they're not moral because they're killing people. And also their statistic of, oh, we only do X, Y percent of abortions. Oh, 3%. Yeah, 3% of, our, of our, what we do is abortions. That 
you can twist numbers sometimes. They purposely, when you come in for a, a board of procedure, it's like 30 different line items on their bill. And what they're, what they're looking at is they're, they're using all those different, well, that was an ultrasound. That was an abortion. Well, that was a, that was a, 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 a mother screening before she came in. That was a, a drug test. That was a blood test. That was a counseling session. And all these things just to, just to uh, obscure how many abortions. So we have like 10 were... other things, and then we did an abortion. Exactly. So the abortion is only that that one that that one percent of everything else we did. So it's really just taking each procedure leading up to abortion, which this is like there's like in order to have an abortion, you have to do these steps to get an abortion, and they consider each step a different line item as opposed to the steps that if somebody came in there just for an abortion. So anyway, I check that it's there's even left wing sources that have admitted that. Okay, they're padding their numbers, and they it really isn't three percent of what they do as a well. And here's the thing: it's like okay, there are some things. Yes, I get it. There's certain things that are that are conservative or liberal talking points, and that will they will favor certain data over others. But then there is sometimes that no, this is raw data. This isn't a left or right wing issue. This is just a this is straight fact. This has been confirmed. There is no other way to twist this. So anyway, um, I digress on that issue. So uh, and that's the thing. So Planned Parenthood was meant as a eugenics program to prevent undesirables from breeding, mostly the poor, African Americans, and the mentally ill. And so and we see that even today statistically. So. Anyway, continue. So, uh, let's see. Stats that's of those that survive abortion. Ooh, this abortion survivors. Yeah, and there's something that is really overlooked, especially when people are, are pro-abortion or pro-choice. Um, they don't want to admit these numbers. And there's a couple that we can bring up. I'll do the first one if you want to do the second one. Sure. So, 2011 CDC report showed that 1,298 cases in one year were of infants dying after a failed abortion. These are, and infants dying means the baby was born, it is an alive child outside of the womb, and then died as, as a side effect of some of the aborted procedures, whether that was losing a limb or the chemicals that were used, drugs, what have you, they died after birth directly. Prematurely being ripped out of the womb. Exactly, as a direct cause of, of the aborted procedure. And of course, that's when people talk about being merciful to the baby because it might be it might suffer. You pointed this out with Brenda, which is either way the child's going to suffer. The question is, am I causing the suffering personally, or is it happening naturally? Mm -hmm. And so, if the baby, if one thousand two hundred ninety-eight children in just two thousand eleven alone are killed because of side effects from the abortion, not the abortion itself, then the child is suffering. That's all there's to it. So, and in the 2007 British Journal study, there's some great stuff in that uh, British Journal study. But they found that one in 30 abortions after 16 weeks result in a born alive infant. Now, granted, most babies, uh, most babies, babies after between 16 and 19 weeks don't, and generally speaking, even 25 weeks when Brayden was born, your son. They don't tend to live very long. Generally speaking, their, their survivability rate is low, but it's still possible in certain cases, depending what week. But 16 weeks, it means that the child is still able to be born and is able to live at least for a few minutes. So in 2007, one in 30 abortions after 16 weeks result in a born alive infant. And I don't think it was necessarily saying that they were born at 16 weeks, but that they after 16 weeks, some aborted procedure was done, and, and one in 30 of those was result, resulting in a born alive child. And keep in mind, going. we're dealing with like 850,000 
abortions a year on a conservative number, and on the higher... Uh, just the United States. Yeah, in the, just the United States. And, and over almost a million on bad years mm -hmm. in the United States of children. So one in 30 of those are suffering after, afterwards. So anyway. And another, another uh, Europe study, so Daily Mail reported that 66 babies in the UK survived abortions and were left to die after birth. So um, Governor Northam in um, Virginia got a lot of heat in 2019 about this, saying on a radio station essentially saying that, well, we'll give comfort care if a baby survives an abortion, we'll figure out what to do with it. And that caused a lot of outrage, and the, and the assumption was what to do with it was let it live or die. Um, of an, as an infant, as a born child, um, but here you go, is 66 babies in one year survived um, abortion and were left to die. So not just survived, but they were left to die. Um, and this, I can go on a whole tangent on my perspective on universal health care as regard to babies um, being born, but uh, that's for another video. That's for another video. <laughs> that's actually a great video we should probably have because your son wouldn't have made it. No. They would not have... Uh, Braden would not be alive today if it was over there. Oh, and then we get to Gosnell. Some things, see again, there's so many things we wanted to cover and so many things we weren't able to because we were too busy talking about God's view of gender <laughs> in that video with Brenda. It's bothersome. Uh, so you want to talk about a distraction from the actual topic. Anyway. <laughs> we were slightly triggered, but we also really had a, did have a good time talking. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we did have a good time, but I was just like, okay, you want to talk about distraction? This God, how do you view God's view of children? Okay. Yeah. Gosnell facts. So Gosnell, for those of you guys who don't know, I would look up uh, Dr. Gosnell and the amount of children he killed and the whole court case surrounding that. There's a lot there. There's a great movie on it. Uh, Brian, you've seen it. I've yet to see it, and I hear great things. And I keep I trying to talk him into it, but he, he doesn't want to be sad. To be fair, okay, look, I saw Unplanned like a month after a miscarriage. And that messed me and Callie up. We were like, no, we got this. We can do this. We got it. Like, we can't do this. <laughs> oh, that, oh, anyway. It's okay but, to be emo emotional. Though. No, it's not. I am a robot. <laughs> anyway, Gosnell severed the spine of one breathing, moving, born alive baby and put the baby in a plastic shoebox for disposal. Yeah, I really do recognize, recommend seeing the video, the movie, because it really does kind of portray how disturbing and disgusting this place was. I forget it. I think it was in Chicago or Pittsburgh. It was somewhere in the Midwest. It was it was essentially a house attached to an abortion clinic and he was targeting um, very low income people for abortions. And the reason they got even on anyone's radar from a law perspective was because they were writing uh, false prescriptions through it as well. And it got caught in a, uh, I think a drug sting for the DEA. So, but oh, go ahead. Uh, this, I was going to bring up the next point of it was, uh, uh, and these are from the court case specifically that came out. And these um, are only the things that we know of. And it's from eyewitness testimony of of uh, people working at the abortion clinic. One of the babies was reportedly moving and breathing for 20 minutes after being after an employee uh, cut the spinal cord. So you talk about um, people say, oh, abortion's safe or abortions. Uh, what's best for the baby or they don't feel any pain or it's just it's just a clump of cells and then you you read something like that where you have a born alive baby with their spinal cord cut and they're struggling to breathe and move for 20 minutes outside the mother it's harsh 
And again, but again, is this not the logical conclusion? If the baby was not human when it was inside the mother, it was just a, considered a clump of cells without humanity. Mm-hmm. Is it not the logical conclusion then to be able to kill it once it's out of the mom? Again, it's, location does not prescribe humanity. No. So this is, this again, it's, it's wrong, it's evil. Uh, the other thing is the abortions of, what is it, what, really big ones, really which was... Illegal late-term abortions, the really big ones, uh, which, of course, we all know the really big babies are, happen to be pretty far along in there. They kind of look like infants. Well, <laughs> plot twist. Um, so, yeah, so illegal late-term abortions were scheduled for Sundays when no employees were even around in Gosnell's clinic. And I think this really goes to the point of, you know, someone says, well, you know, late-term abortions just don't happen. You, you crazy anti-abortion people just like to bring those rarities up because it helps your case. No, this is, this, is a, this is a legal court case where this came up. And our next point, we'll get on that even more. But these are, these are more than 25-week babies. They're large children that are being born and are being murdered. And they're doing it specifically at different times of the day so they're not getting caught. They know it's wrong. And this is one doctor that was caught. One doctor. Not including how many others. And there's been many doctors who have come forward and have come, become pro-life and was like, I have killed thousands of children. And I'm going to answer for, to God for that um, because they realized what they were doing. Um, but we know also hundreds of babies survived abortions also at Gosnell and were killed after birth. And we know this happens in other places because we hear eyewitness testimony of this happening actually kind of frequently. You hear every couple months you hear of a story of this coming out. And when a story comes out, you can guarantee that it is one incident of many others. If you want to talk about the hashtag Me Too movement, well, how many other women haven't you know said anything? Okay, well, how many babies didn't get to say anything? Anyway, mm-hmm. off high hours. Okay, I'm good. Um, and then other, just a little brief point about my my soapbox about uh, universal health care. But in, in the UK, they have a essentially a viability lower limit of children being born. And they call it a survivability limit. And in the UK right now, and this was lowered, but in the UK right now, if you're born before 25 weeks, you do, you do not have to be given any life-saving treatment and you are not given a birth certificate. So... Um, and, and when you compare numbers between countries like, oh, you know, the United States has a lot of infant mortality. It's like, yes, because we call them all infants. We call them all infants. The UK, like, oh, 24-week baby, eh, that's not a baby. Don't give it a birth certificate. It's not considered a live birth. And they don't give it any medical treatment. My son uh, had one day of really not needing a ventilator, um, and he was on CPAP, and we're like, okay, this is going pretty good. And then and then, oh yeah, the, the crushing weight of, of being a 25-week baby outside of the womb came down, and there's a lot of medical issues, but thankfully he was born in the United States. Thankfully he was born in a very competent um, hospital in Michigan, and they did remarkable things, and he is a completely healthy boy, nine years old. He's upstairs right now having fun watching some uh, Daniel Tiger, I think, but... Um, <laughs> But he, he's a child, and, and I have uh, a friend of mine who was born at 22 weeks. Oof. 22 weeks, and they thought he was going to die in the hospital, and his, his dad's a, or his grandpa was a pastor, and they organized a big prayer thing at the church, and he goes, it was amazing. I, I did like an immediate turnaround that night, <laughs> and they completely um, credit prayer and God for his turnaround. But he is a, is a very, very big guy, and he helps me do hay at the barn, and he can throw hay twice as far as I can. 
and he started his life well below the survivability limit. And you guys don't understand, that's a compliment coming from Brian. Brian's a strong <laughs> dude. I, I saw him crush Andrew. Andrew is on this program. If you see the size of Andrew, Andrew goes and works out regularly. And I saw him crush Andrew in an arm wrestling match. So if a guy can throw fast farther than you, that's... I'm glad we documented that now on YouTube so everyone knows I'm stronger than Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew might be offended. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. He likes being the strongest. Meanwhile, I'm a twig, so I'll just stay away from all of y'all in the brute strength area. Um, so there's, there's some very common pro-choice, pro-abortion talking points. And I know pro-choice people hate being called pro-abortion, but here's the thing. If you're advocating for abortion, can you at least say you're pro-abortion? Well, I'm not for abortion. I don't really like abortion, but I'm just pro-choice. Okay, that's like me saying, well, I'm like, I'm not pro-Holocaust, but like some Holocaust might be okay. <laughs> what? Like the Germans had a choice. <laughs> yeah, but the Germans had a choice how, how they wanted to dictate their country. Get out of here. Anyway, but there's common misstatements with pro-choice people. And they say certain things, and they have certain misconceptions, and they have certain things that they promulgate. And you might have heard this as a Christian. If you're a Christian watching this, I want you guys to take note of these on these particular ones. And if you use these and you're pro-choice, I want you to understand the fact that you're actually uh, promulgating misstatements. So... Uh, one, uh, the first one, take it away, is back alley abortions. Yeah, back alley abortions, oh my gosh, I hear this one all the time. And you don't understand, before 1973, there were all these back alley abortions without under, even understanding the historical context for what, that word, what those words mean. Back alley abortion does not mean women were in back alleys with coat hangers trying to kill their babies. It's not what that means at all. Back alley abortion means that was the door in which they entered uh, doctors' offices. It was frowned upon. It was it was looked down upon by the culture. It was illegal. So they would enter the back door through the back alley to go into the abortion clinic to have an ab abortion doctor um, perform a safe abortion for the mother. And another thing, statistically speaking, as people mentioned, women die from unsafe abortions. So before Roe v. Wade, women were dying in unsafe abortions. Actually, if you look up the um, actually, um, if you look up the statistics here, oh, I don't have my glasses on because of the reflection. Um, but uh, women dying from unsafe abortions. Actually, that statistic has not changed from then to now. Women with uh, die. I mean, that's not a statistic that fluctuated, and we saw a massive steep decline on once Roe v. Wade happened. Yeah, it was pretty rare before, and still pretty rare now, um, but it still happens. Yeah, exactly. But so it didn't have a meaningful impact. Women still die from abortions today. Whether people want to admit that or not, they still have health complications, which is supposed to be safer for the mother, yet there's still complications. Just a what thought. What a good segue, because the next point, and I, I said this tongue-in-cheek before, which is the idea of safe abortions. Oh, you guys are just against, these are safe, legal, and rare abortions, guys. You don't understand. And the word safe is such a misnomer here, right, because they are ignoring one life. They're saying it's safe for the mother, which we already talked about where some women it is not safe for. But it, when you're doing something that kills someone, it's not safe. You can't say it was a safe axe murder. You can't say it was a safe serial killer. You can't say that it was a safe car accident where one person died. It wasn't safe. But was it rare? <laughs> it used to be rare. Uh, well, no, that's, that's exactly it. Like, it's like when people talk about safe, they're talking about maybe possibly safer for the mother, but not safer for the child. Yeah. 
again, with Braden, I'm sure when everything came up with uh, Stacy having preeclampsia, I'm sure that it came up. Did it come up? Did they no, ask? It really didn't. It really didn't. And I, I think that just because they understood that we wanted to have the child. Okay. Because that was one of the things I'm like, man, I bet you at some point that I'm surprised I never asked you that. Or maybe I have and I just don't remember your answer. I don't, I don't think you did. Oh, okay. Unless they asked my wife before I got there because I was driving in a blizzard for two hours to get there. Um, but as far as I know, they didn't ask that question. I really hope I don't have something like that. I just want mine. Some, for once, I want something in my life to go smoothly. I'm like, please just have this one baby go well. And everything else, I don't care about anything else. But anyway, um, then, which is a great segue, though, because health of the mother. Brian, you can speak to this personally so take yeah, it away yeah brenda bought this, brought this up in our interview too and she's like well you know didn't you care about your wife and i'm like of course there are two lives that we were we were worried about the whole time in the hospital and it was how how long can we go through this condition of preeclampsia before it is too dangerous for both my son and my wife it was never an only my son we're worried about and it was never only my wife we're worried about there were two lives that we were worried about. Just like you, you make sure that your wife has a seatbelt on in the car and your son, it's the same idea. You can actually think about two people at the same time. And this idea that health of a mother um, is some excuse for abortion is, is idiotic, especially, it's especially after the baby is viable. So we're talking 2021 week mark where you, that baby can survive, has a chance of surviving. There is no and I mean zero medical necessary reasons for an abortion. If you go through abortion after that stage, you are actually putting the mother in more risk. Statistically, that's fact. The baby, you still have to go through a birth. So if you're like, oh, well, the mom, the mom can't have a birth because it's dangerous, she still has to do it either way. So either you're having a C-section or vaginal birth, but either way, that child's coming out. And it's either coming out dead because you killed it or it's coming out alive and you're going to try to keep it alive. Yeah, and so would it not be better for us to let the baby live? Yeah. Stop using the health of the mother excuse. It is There is only one, and I'll bring this up because I think we, we really adhere to truth here. There's only one scenario that I, that I can think of where health of the mother, where the abortion, at least for the technology we have right now, seems like the only way to save the mother's life, and that is an ectopic pregnancy. And that's usually detected very early on in the pregnancy, that, and it pretty much is a death sentence to the mother if it continues. And also a death sentence to the child because the mother will die, therefore it's nutrients die. So that's like one of those, no one's winning mm -hmm. in these scenarios. Uh, the next one is contraception. Oh, good grief. <laughs> Just, well, if, you know, if there was more contraception, there'd be less abortions or all these things. Guys, contraception is, con like, you can still get pregnant with contraception. Um, just because of more contraception does not necessarily mean, and you're having more preventatives, does not necessarily mean that you need an abortion either. Like this whole, like how do you connect that anyway? Yeah. This idea of contraception, like, okay, so I put on a condom, or we need more contraception, and that'll cause less abortions. Okay, yeah, but that doesn't negate the idea that you can, if you are still doing sex, <laughs> doing the sex, you are still going to, you could still possibly get pregnant, no matter what contraceptions you're using. Yeah. Do you have any... Well, I think it's, you can just compare countries too. I think uh, I think it's Russia and Mexico. So Russia's got, I think, the highest abortion rate in the country or in the world, and they have a very similar contraception use to Mexico, which has like the lowest abortion rate in the world. Hmm. So comparing those things, and they, they're using different types of contraception, but I, I will admit that some contraception might help reduce some abortions. 
but it's not a meaningful number, and I don't think it, it really has the impact we're really going for, which is from the cultural legal approach. Well, I mean, because, again, you're, just because you are trying to put, use contraceptives to prevent a pregnancy does not necessarily mean you're going to stop an abortion unless you have a value for that life that's in there. So, again, more contraception does not necessarily mean you're not going to have an abortion. Again, if you're having sex, the likelihood of your child go, having a child goes way higher. <laughs> Good. Yeah, if you're not having sex, unless you're Mary, uh, your chances of getting <laughs> pregnant are zero. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, and oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, you should take this last one. I'm, I'm going to take this one. The next one that ticks me off, to use a more appropriate phrase for my more conservative listeners. What ticks me off is the is this conversation regard, surrounding the foster system. Well, you want to put the child up for adoption. Well, oh, well, you don't understand the foster system. You don't understand how horrible that is. Do you really want your child being raised by some other people that you've never met? Do you know the abuse and the sexual issues that they have in the foster system? Oh, it's so terrible. That. Guess what? So here's the thing. He has the mother, the, the, white, the life of your mother at risk, the... the um, the pre-born child thing, the, the medical thing. You have so many things wrapped in your whole story of Brayden. I got the foster system. Both my brothers, both my younger brothers, were adopted through the foster system. Not only were both my brothers adopted through the foster system, but my wife is one of 12 adopted children from other countries in their respective foster systems. And on top of that, I had probably about 12 to 14, I'm not going to count them right now, kids come through my home Personally, my home was a, was a difficult home. It was not an easy home for these foster kids. And I've mentioned that before. And I'll give my personal story on another video. But the, regardless, I understand the foster system well and good. It is difficult. There are some really, really, really crappy families in that foster system. Yeah. There are some really, really amazing families. And generally, generally speaking, most of them are amazing not terrible. They're not these horrible people. And again, just like, you know, a bad actions of one police officer, the bad actions of one priest does not represent the great majority. Mm -hmm. Or if you're more liberal here, the, the, the rioters might not be the same as the standard protesters with Black Lives Matter. Okay. So lumping it in with all in one in general is not okay. But here's the thing. My family, my, my younger brother, specifically David, was abused more than any person I think I personally know. David has experienced every form of abuse from both his past before foster system and in the foster system by my own family members. And here's the thing. David has, is married, and he has two beautiful children, and I love my niece and nephew. And guess what? I'm sure he'd rather have not been aborted. This whole thing of using the foster system as an excuse to kill somebody, you know what? Here's the thing. You might be able to, sorry, I, you can tell I'm passionate about this. This ticks. I'm just glad you talk. I'm just going to move the mic away. <laughs> this ticks me off. It's so bad. It's like, okay, so what you're saying is that my brother's life, because he, could, he was going to suffer in life, is less valuable than somebody who had a great upbringing like my wife who didn't suffer such abuse. That's disgusting. One suffering does not dictate their humanity does not dictate the value of their life. In fact, we tend, think of all those movies, think of your favorite movie, think of your favorite hero or protagonist in that movie or book or whatever, 
And you, one of your favorite parts usually is about the fact that they came from a broken past, ray, came above it, overcome it, and did the right thing. Well, guess what? According to your logic, that hero could have or should have been aborted because, oh, he was probably going to suffer in life. It's disgusting. Uh, bottom line is one's value does not, is not equated with their suffering. And I'm sure my brother looks at his wonderful family now, looks at his beautiful daughter and his son and goes, you know what? I'm really glad I wasn't aborted because of the foster system. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's disgusting. And, you know, uh, as someone who's experienced abuse in his life, as somebody who's been around it his entire life, it's simply not an excuse. And it's wrong. And it's sinful. And it's horribly immoral. And all of you should be ashamed of yourselves. Anyway, okay, moving on. Well, just one point I'd make on that is I challenge any of our listeners to, uh, to look back at their lives. and has, has your life been free of suffering? Or have you suffered? Do you still value your life? Do you still look forward to the next day? Do you, do you enjoy the things that you've done? Do you enjoy the people that you've met? Do you enjoy that you are in the relationship with your spouse, um, the friends that you have? I'm sure it's almost unanimous there that, yes, there's been suffering, and yes, that they are happy they're alive. And that's the thing. To, to live is to suffer. You're going to experience suffer, suffering. So to, to use the foster system as an excuse for that, is the foster system terribly broken? Yes. I have, I have words to say about that foster system. I do not enjoy it. I think there's a lot of wrong with it. But still, a horribly broken foster system is better than dying and not having a chance at life at all. Yeah. Anyway. Soapbox removed. My rant is over. Take it away. I, I've talked enough. People are probably like, okay, that was probably the angriest I've ever seen Will on here. But <laughs> he got worked up. We'll try to cool him down. Ugh, um, good so luck. one other point I wanted to make was just I think the difference between the victim of rape and victim of abortion. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. And we, we will bring up rape quite a bit when we're doing a comparison to abortion. And these are some of the reasons why. And when people say you're, you're conflating these or there's a false equivalency, uh, I think these points – ring true that it's not a false equivalency. So abortion and rape are both forcibly carried out against the person's will. Hmm. Think about that. They both cause injury. Sometimes there's a death as a result of rape, and there's a lot of times a death as a result of an attempted abortion. Um, they do not consent. If they're too young to consent, when you talk about statutory rape, or they are just too young to consent. Uh, babies are definitely too young to consent. Uh, with the culture that, that promulgates abortion is also the one that's very highly in tune with the idea of consent. There's no consent for abortion from the kid being killed. Um, yeah, your forced sex if you are unconscious is rape. Forced sex if you aren't mentally fit uh, to consent is rape. And the same thing with being unconscious um, as a child in the womb um, or you're not mentally fit to be able to say no, um, those are very much the same thing. Uh, both situations are an outrageous violation of that person's body. We are very much against rape and we are very much against abortion because they're an outrageous violation of that person's, um, that person's uh, sanctity of their, their self. You're violating their personhood. Um, sometimes these are committed by the ones you love the most. Uh, it's tragic that that these babies. Um, it's getting deep in here. I'm, I'm not sorry. ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things I'm very passionate about. But, but these these mothers and fathers, 
that created this human life are supposed to be the ones that look out for these kids the most. Same thing with these family members, dads, brothers that rape their family members. They are scum. And you're, they are the ones that should be loving you the most. They are the ones that should be protecting you. They should be the ones that are defending you. They should not be the ones that are violating your body. Um, these things are, both abortion and rape are irreversible. You don't get to go back in time. You don't get to be unraped. You don't get to be unaborted. They are both immoral, and they are both unbiblical. And this is why my point about rape and abortion is not a false equivalency. These are very, very similar in how they're conducted, by who they're conducted, and the morality of the action itself. They're both violating someone's bodily autonomy. And that, is, you know, you, as somebody who's experienced, you know, um, and I'm not too shy about the, the things I've suffered, I've, sexual, I've experienced sexual abuse, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, uh, my bodily autonomy has been violated in my life. Um, and like, I mean, I didn't get pregnant because I'm a man. <laughs> Almost can't like, ring that bell. Hashtag two genders. <laughs> I'm a man. I can't. Okay, I better. St- okay. All right. Um, but okay. So leave your hateful comments in the section below. Yeah, yeah. Disliked, unsubbed, hate this bigot. Um, but I, I appreciate all these people who are willing to tag along with my sarcastic sense of humor, even though I'm only halfway sarcastic. Sarcastic in tone, not in moral. But okay, uh, the other thing is, uh, so here's the thing with Brenda from God is Gray. I don't mean, we don't want to keep always harping on her. I have a feeling I'm going to have like 14 other rebuttal videos toward her in the future just because I want to correct it with biblical truth. But the thing is, there are other arguments from God is Gray there that has gone horribly wrong. So she has equated pro-choice, she conflates it with being pro-abortion. Uh, well, not, not conflates, it says that's not conflated with, right? right. Like, like pro-choice isn't, isn't the same as being pro-abortion. You got that wrong. She's mentioned that in our interview. Mm-hmm. And we concede the point like, yeah, I can understand that being, uh, you know, those people who say shout your abortions might be coming from a place of frustration of people not listening and not, you know, to them, which most people do do outrageous things when they're not being listened to. doesn't make them right, though. It uh, doesn't mean that they have a good thing to complain about because now you can literally look it up on Amazon. I had one friend reach out to me because I, I posted a meme about this T-shirt saying this is what a serial killer looks like. And they're like, oh, how dare you? But then the person even admitted, OK, I'm eating crow here because I just found this T-shirt on Amazon, which says I have had 21 abortions. It's literally a shirt that's, a, that's announcing and proclaiming how great it is to have had abortions. You can find that at shoutyourabortion.com as well. There's literally a website of Shout Your Abortion. People, you do not get to shout your abortion and then say, well, I'm not like for it though. Like, I don't think it's a good thing. Okay, then why are you shouting about it? Like, I don't think rape is a good thing. I'm just shouting about my rape victims. No one would say that to Ted Bundy, right? No. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not pro rape and murder. I'm just shouting my victim. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay. Well, I think there was a lady that uh, helped found the Shout Your Abortion website, did a video with children, which was essentially trying to equate abortion like going to the dentist, just giving it cavity filled. And it was very much making light of it, making it not sound like it was serious, and definitely not making it sound like it was killing someone. 
Um, next one that, that she's mentioned is, uh, you know, stop making, ex uh, stop making exceptions or talking about the exceptions of rape and incest. Like this is something that it, uh, distracts from the point. And we agree that we don't need to talk about the fringe cases necessarily if we can agree that abortion on the whole is bad. Um, ben Shapiro definitely, I think, has is, is, is made that argument very famous. Um, but what is the difference? What is the difference if, if someone is killed because they were conceived by rape or incest? That's still a human life. It's still made in the image of God. Uh, they, came, they came into this earth probably not in the best way. Uh, in a terrible way, and their mother is probably suffering from that forever, just like we we're talking about how rape is bad. But two wrongs don't make a right. And I know that's a cliche, but it's really true here. And I even had someone that talked to me for a while about abortion, and she's like, well, if my daughter came home as 15, pregnant, I would make her get an abortion. And I was like, but you're, you, want your daughter to, you want your daughter to kill your granddaughter, your grandchild? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, well, that, that is what you're saying. That is your grandchild. I don't care. Uh, I don't, being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, I don't care that how it was conceived. It's still a human life. Just like you wouldn't go around trying to kill two-year-olds that were conceived by rape because that's still a human life. Well, there's actually stories of people coming out right now. I was conceived, my mother had me, and I was a rape child. I was a child that was conceived by rape, but she still had me. Does, is my life now less valuable? Is, are, do you want to answer that question? Would you like to look at my brothers in the face and be like, oh, because you're in the foster system, your life is less valuable, it's okay to abort you? I don't want to do that. I ain't going to do that because all human life is equally valuable. Another claim is that the pro-life policymakers actually cause more abortion and pro-choice policymakers prevent abortion. This is emphatically untrue. We are going to have, you can actually check this out yourself, uh, and we're going to leave our Excel spreadsheet and has sources actually in it. Um, in the description below for you to download and study at your own good pleasure. But bottom line is, California, New York, and a lot of other places prove this to be completely emphatically untrue. Uh, it is, it, it's uh, one, of, it's fake news, if you will. So what, so what prevents abortion? Okay, so we want to talk about what prevents abortion. Okay, yeah. we talk about this all the time. Like, okay, how, how is it then that we get there? Well, um, her, her claims. Yeah, her claims is comprehensive sex education, and two is access to birth control, and three is resources. And we've kind of addressed some of these already. In that Excel document also has the, um, the sex education uh, types by state, and you'll see that, that at least point number one is, is definitely not true. Um, but our, our uh, response to that would be kind of where is this shown? So in point one, Mexico, Mexico is one of the lowest abortion rates in the world, and they, and they don't have this. They don't have comprehensive sex education. Same with Wyoming and South Dakota, if we're looking at the United States, they don't have comprehensive sex education, and, and their abortion rates are extremely low. Um, point number two with access to birth control, um, access to birth control is pretty ubiquitous worldwide, especially nationwide. Um, so I, I, we would kind of ask her, what do you mean by birth control? And then, because um, that could mean a lot of different things. And then resources, this is the, the poverty argument, right? The United States is one of the rich, is, is not one of, is the richest com country in the world. It is the richest country that's ever existed. And like I said, we have about a 21% abortion rate. That's pretty high. So if the argument is we don't have enough resources, I don't know how many more resources we can have. Like, what do we need to be? <laughs> we need to be twice as rich as we are now. Like, how, how many of us need to be billionaires before we can stop having abortions? I, I, 
I think it's a nonsensical claim. What is it? Uh, 53, 52% of the world makes like $2 a day. This is off the, off the top of my head. It's like, and oh, oh, you're over here. Even if you're making minimum wage in the United States, you are making so much more. If you were in like Section A housing, you are making more money and doing better off than people in third world countries. Yeah. And that's a fact. We are the 1% in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So it's, it, that is, the resources argument does, does not fly with me or you, really. Um, also, Mexico has a better contraception usage than the U.S. and has far lower resources than the place with the worst sex education than U.S. and Mexico has less than the U.S. And Mexico has less than 1% abortion rate. Yeah. So again, Mexico, I think, is a great example. And again, I don't think we're cherry picking data here, but I think they just address these things that I don't, I don't see the causality in the data. Exactly. For the claims that she's making. And again, we're not t attacking her. Just we had a great conversation with her, and these are just things we didn't get to bring up in the discussion. And she mentions that El Salvador has the highest abortion rates in the world, and this is actually not true. Russia does actually at thirty-seven point four percent, and El Salvador is at twenty-nine percent. Yeah. So. And Russia and Netherlands have very similar contraception rate. Netherlands has a little bit higher abortion rate than, than Mexico, but it's essentially very, very, very low. And, and she will bring up the Netherlands quite a bit in her comparison. All right, so abstinence-only teaching causes more abortion is what her claim was. And that was like the thing I was like, okay, I really want to get away from how I teach sex education in my church. I teach it biblically. <laughs> okay. You got a problem with it, take it up with God, okay? But abstinence only teaching causes more abortion. Here's the thing. Nine states, the nine states with the lowest abortion rates stress abstinence only education. You know why? Because we teach biology. Just because you're horny does not mean you get to go around having sex and having, uh, have, getting girls pregnant or getting pregnant and having abortions as free birth control. We teach responsibility. That is actually a biblical value. Um, you have responsibility. So the nine states with the lowest abortion rates stress abstinence-only education. And guess what? You can teach abstinence-only education in a way that is more than just keep yourself pure for your future husband and wife, the purity culture garbage that has a good heart but a bad destination typically or bad reasons for it. There's a lot more, and I should probably do a video on yeah, you probably should. On purity <laughs> culture. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. So anyway, states with the lowest abortion rates stress abstinence-only education. That's what you need to know. So 14% of U.S. abortions are married women. Which means it's not happening for, for the nuclear family typically. This is the very thing that people want to dismantle in BLM and other things like that. 14% uh, of U.S. abortions, so the vast minority of abortions are caused by married women, which means, again, it's showing the fact that in a, two marry, uh, a married a man and woman household, the way God designed it, is causing less abortions. Yeah, and the, and the sex-positive, open, open relationship type of culture Hookup is culture. actually causing more abortions, at least is contributing to the vast majority of the the women having abortions. Yep, and a cohabitating women have abortion rate of two times the national average. Again, this goes against all the talking points. It goes, it goes against everything. And that's the problem. Uh, in the postmodern age, facts are replaced with narrative. There's an ideal, 
and they just follow the ideal as opposed to, no, 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 what does the facts really say, though? And the ideal is usually self-contradictory, as we talked about in another video. Exactly. With, uh, with alternate media, check it out. Our first split this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Planned Parenthood requires an ultrasound before termination, other people claim. Yeah, and we'll actually, there's actually a video on this on YouTube that I think we'll put in the comments. Um, but, yes, they do. They do, they do give ultrasounds before termination. But... Um, there's a couple Planned Parenthood workers that kind of blew the whistle on this. So uh, Sue Thayer and Ramona Trevino um, said that they said they turn ultrasound screens away from women often, so they don't see the baby. Right? They don't want to uh, impugn uh, or imbibe humanity on those children, so that the women change their mind. They want to get their paycheck. They want to continue with the abortion. So we'll post that video. The, the Ramona in that also says that. Um, they couldn't often help women with ultrasounds for things that you'd use ultrasounds for other than abortion. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids, because, and her reason is because they didn't have any ultrasound techs employed at Planned Parenthood. So they weren't well-versed in this. This ultrasounds are not there for the health and safety of the woman. They're there only to, either because they're legally required by the state and they have to do an ultrasound, or they're there just to guide the abortion procedure. Boom. Also, the, the claim of poverty is the most important factor for abortion. This is what Brenda claims and a lot of pro-choice advocates who are like, well, I'm begrudgingly pro-choice. Uh, Dave Rubin, I think, is also one of those. Well, I'm, I'm begrudgingly pro. Yeah, I think he might be changing his mind. He'll get there. Um, he keeps hanging out with people like the way that he hangs out with. He'll be fine. But um, in 2004, the Guttmacher Institute surveyed 1,209 post-abortive women, so women with abortions, they, they surveyed them, and the reasons for abortions. Um, uh, 25% said they were not a re not ready, and guess what? Only 23% said they couldn't afford. There's your poverty argument, that's by the way. That's not majority. Oh, that is not majority. <laughs> Those of you who don't do bath, that's not a majority. That's not majority, okay. Um, done having kids it was only 19%, and don't want to be a single mother was only 8%. Oh, man, the 8% is smaller, <laughs> and that's a single motherhood argument, which also... The single motherhood argument only enforces the marriage argument from our perspective, but they want to have their they want to have their sex and no consequences too. Uh, almost a t-shirt worth you saying. Almost, almost. <laughs> I'm getting there. Um, not mature enough is seven percent, and it would interfere with their career is four percent. And not interfering with your career is probably the most one of the most selfish things. I want to keep on my career, so I'm going to kill my child. Um, anyway. The other claim is what, 86% gave a different reason that, oh, That's than money? That's a summary of it. So oh, yeah. Essentially, 86, so of Sorry. that entire survey, 86% gave a, a reason other than money. Dang. So poverty is not the driving factor for abortion. Boom. At least according to Guttmacher. And Guttmacher is a pro-choice, pro-abortion research institute. Mm -hmm. They are researching abortion to promote it, to make it more uh, uh, widespread to reduce the restrictions on abortion in states. So we're not, we're not cherry picking data from a source that has our side. Guttmacher is not on our side. Oh, exactly. It just so happens that their, their, their percentages kind of prove our point. Um, regulating women's bodies never stopped abortion is, is the claim, but uh, I find this... <laughs> This line of argumentation is hilarious. Well, regulating a woman's body doesn't stop abortion. Well, regulating men's bodies have never stopped rape, so I guess we're done here. Uh, we allow rape and we allow abortion. Everyone loses. Yeah. 
in Mexico again, not to keep harping on Mexico, uh, in over half the country, and they have essentially states kind of like the United States, and their state constitutions, they respect a fertilized egg as a human life. So from a legality perspective, they were, they were uh, regulating women's bodies because they were essentially identifying the life inside the woman as also a human life. Right, and again, we should regulate men, and this was another thing that came up right in the interview. Well, I don't like to look at things as like gender binary. You know, it's more than just men and women. Oh, that is, and, I, and you, you kind of called it out. I was like, can we move on from this? Because I really don't want to get into a gender fluidity argument, even though I know we can hold our own there. But again, this idea of rape and sexual assault is almost exclusively male. Like, it's mostly men. Men tend to be, and also violent crime is mostly male. So again, should we not regulate men's bodies? All legality, most generally, violent legality, right? You're dealing with physical regulation of someone's body. Same thing with abortion. Just women tend not to be, like, punching each other in the face and raping each other because women tend to be, I don't know, more compassionate. Uh-oh, yeah. there I go again, talking about gender binaries. Well, and can you imagine telling women that they can't have an opinion on rape because it's mostly a men's issue. That's the argument a lot of the times, and I'm not saying Brenda makes this argument, but that's the argument a lot of times from the pro-abortion crowd is, well, men can't have an opinion on this because this is a mostly a woman's issue. And I can't help but remember that half of, of the babies that are being aborted are of either boy or girl. Rut row. So it's not a women's issue. It's not a men's issue. It's a humanity issue. Yeah. Trump and Pence, they cut teen pregnancy prevention by $213.6 million. And Brenda was really upset about this. She thought this was just There's a obnoxious. video on it, wasn't there? That was in our first rebuttal video. She, she brings this up. Oh, yeah. These were already <laughs> planned to end in 2020, though. This wasn't a Trump thing. These were, these were already planned to end. Yeah. He, they ended them slightly early, about a year and a half. Yeah, early. a year and a half early. What evidence is there that affected that this affected abortion rates positively anyway? Right, and that's the reason they actually got rid of it is because it was having no impact at all. So we had millions of dollars going to something with no impact. So what happens when the government gets involved? 2010 to 2018-ish is when it ended. There was no reduction in teen pregnancy rates according to the Health and Human Services who are running this funding. Uh, unwanted pregnancies skyrocket to lack of sex education. It's the, actually the opposite. So it's not the unwanted pregnancies skyrocket to lack of sex education. It's the actually the unwanted pregnancies actually, you could say, dip due to lack of sex education to a degree because, again, it's almost like if you're not shoving sex in people's faces, and especially children's or young people's, they're not going to be constantly thinking about sex. In fact, I didn't know what porn was until I kept hearing people talk about porn. I didn't know what that was as a teen, as like a very young pre-adolescence. I was like, well, porn. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> and one day I highly regretted a Google search. <laughs> uh, Sometimes too much knowledge. I was like, ah, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so also it depends on what you mean by sex education and who is educating. Uh, you know, uh, I agree that knowledge is always better, right? Mm -hmm. Knowledge helps. That education is always a good thing. But it depends on what you mean by sex education. You know, we also, she mentioned in her video, and I was like, this is the highway to pedophilia. When she mentioned, oh, yeah, well, it's all age appropriate. You know, you're talking to four-year-olds and five-year-olds. Oh, this is what gives you pleasure. And I'm over there like, why would I be talking to my five-year-old about that who's barely learning their alphabet? Yeah. 
You know, oh, good grief. So well, it depends what you mean by education. Are you, am I telling the kid exactly how procreation works at five years old and then they're going to get curious and start exploring? Let's keep it age appropriate. Well, and then there's also the extreme on the other side, right, where you have you have adults that are married and they don't even know what part goes where. So there, there is, I agree, with some level of education is needed to actually understand the activity. Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, and as someone who came from a, a strict Baptist background, sex was almost like a cuss word in the house. Mm -hmm. You someone said sex, and they'd whisper it. They'd be like, sex, you know? And it was insane because it's like, well, no. And then I've seen this also have detrimental effects because people aren't being exposed to it at all. But then I have people who are just like, oh, let's just open up the doors entirely. It's like, no, let's keep things age appropriate. There's a reason why puberty happens when it happens. That's probably roughly around the time you should be having the quote unquote talk is because biologically, that's when you need to be having the talk is when all the things start, all the pistons start firing on all the cylinders. Um, anyway, so it depends what you mean by sex education. So knowledge is better. Knowledge equips don't withdraw knowledge but don't also give too much you know uh, there's certain things that people don't need to know at certain times well we can get that example even from God right with the uh, progressive revelation like even God revealed more and more of his nature over time because he was waiting for humanity to have the mental competency to handle it to understand it that's a good way to put that yeah um, so we're, we're following God in that perspective as well um, one of the other claims she makes is we shouldn't try to stop people from having abortions on morality alone um, because that's proven to not be effective. We could go on and on about this. We've already talked about this quite a bit in this video, but um, laws are you dictating morality on someone. You are setting a moral standard, and we very much believe that morality comes from having something above you that dictates that morality. If if morality is only dictated dictated by by us as individuals, then it isn't morality at all. It's just opinion. Yeah. And do you think these people take the same stance on rape? Like, oh, we shouldn't try to stop people from raping each other on morality alone. It's, that's proven ineffective. No, you want to push for morality and legality when it comes to rape. Again, the arguments are very similar. Well, you can uh, even look at the whole Black Lives Matter stuff going on. The moral of Black Lives Matter is very powerful, and they are trying to to cause change, to cause um, disrespect of black lives based on proclaiming the moral that black lives do matter. If you don't think black lives matter, go take a hike. That is very much a moral argument that they're making. True. Yeah. And that's what they want to see. They want to see a moral change and a cultural change. Which I'll have to say in my in, in a video coming up, but either before or after this video, depends on when I get to it, when this one gets done being edited. But also we see that the, the claim is that children that are poor have less chance of achieving important milestones. Oh no. Uh, this goes back into it's almost the exact same argument as the foster, care. the foster care system. Because they're less likely to achieve these amazing milestones that maybe the person from a well-off family is, therefore their life is less valuable. You're disgusting if you, prove, if you point this argument. Someone's value is not based on their achievements. It's not based on their income. It's based on their innate humanity, which is why when somebody becomes a serial killer, they're denying their humanity or a rapist and all this, and which is why most of society is like, yeah, I don't mind you killing a rapist because he's denied his own humanity. But anyway, uh, so, what, you know, so the thing is, if children that are poor are less, have less chance of achieving important milestones, is, so my question is, why is that important? Wait, that, that's important? You know, children who are aborted have 100% less chance of literally achieving any of these milestones. 
Let me repeat that for you if you didn't catch it. Those, if you're using the fact that they're not able to achieve certain milestones or they're going to go into the foster system so they're not going to be able to achieve that which other people are, they have a 100% chance of still not fulfilling those things if you abort them. Yeah, if the point is milestones, then you're never going to get the milestones if you abort them. So you may as well just let the kid at least give it a try. Good night. It just kills me. I love how you looked at me at this part of our notes. Yeah, I'll just go, just like I always do, and go, okay, pastor, go ahead and, and, uh, and hit the Bible verses. <laughs> <laughs> so the next part of this video we wanted to address was the biblical arguments. And, okay, okay, so we have statistics on our side. I believe we have science on our side. You know, your, your, your body does not have different blood types, uh, DNA types. Diff two different sets of genitalia, and do not use hermaphrodites as your excuse. That is a genetic abnormality. We do never use we never use abnormalities to excuse the whole. Okay, and again, even then, that's isn't that not a large an enlarged clitoris? Anyway, not trying to be gross here, but just saying like, let's be accurate. <laughs> yeah, please don't use that as an excuse. It's yes. So again, we have science on our side. Uh, you know, if we're talking about bodily autonomy, one's body is defined by their own body, which we can identify through their DNA, blood types, genitalia, face, brain activity, etc. Those things are what is exactly what we're saying, dictates a separate human life. Therefore, it's a life within a life, not a life who owns that life and is only that life until it is outside of their body. Now, suddenly, its own life. That doesn't make any daggone sense. To hit on that. Check out our video on the sled test argument for more information there. But anyway, let's talk about biblical arguments because Christians often, you know, Christians should not be split on this issue. Uh, we, we kept seeing that even when we, uh, well, on Facebook, we keep seeing these like, the church is not split on abortion. Those who reject, those who accept abortion <laughs> aren't real Christians. They get upset because they think like we as the church split are advocating. For yeah, abortion. Sorry, our name offended you. Please click on the video and watch it. Yeah, please, before you start scathing me over hot coals, actually be like, let me watch the first five seconds of that video to see what's going on here. Yeah. Or just click on my Facebook page and read my mission statement. Good night. Read the description of the video. Just do something, please. <laughs> anyway, uh, but of course, we're, we're talking... We're talking at like the end of a video here, yeah. and they haven't even clicked on the beginning of the video, so we're talking, we're preaching to the choir. Hi. None of y'all are seeing this, so we can talk about you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. Okay, so let's talk about Bible. Pro-life verses. We mentioned some of these in our uh, first rebuttal yep. to Brenda, but I want to make sure I point some of these out here as well. Again, Exodus 21, 22 through 25 is my favorite place to go. It says this, when, it, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that, ch that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. So he's getting charged for this as, because there was no harm to the child, but the, she was still forced into labor. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, so the husband gets to uh, choose the amount of money that he pays. Uh, he shall pay as the judge is determined. But also, if there is harm, so if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Do you know what he's saying here? If you go in there to do an abortion and you fail and you lopped off the arm and you didn't kill the baby, you're losing an arm. I can get behind that. I can get behind that totally. Um, and, but then he goes, says right here, then you shall pay life for life. Wait, that, what does that mean? 
Whose life? Whose life? Whose life just died in this scenario? The babies. If you read this right here, it is the babies. And you should hear the pro-choice people try to get around this. The pro-choice claim is that this shows that it's property. You know, it's the woman's property because the child's injury, death, or abortion only requires a payment. But you are misapplying this verse. The verse is saying that if the child is injured, you pay a fine. But if it dies, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, limb for limb. There's a difference here, and you're being disingenuous. You and I have had talks with some guy, kid who left the church and had a huge hissy fit about this um, and kept twisting the scripture to fit his word. You cannot sit there and say you're a Bible-believing Christian while rejecting plain language and trying to create an ambiguous, ambiguous, vague like interpretation. And I hate when people say, well, it just depends how you interpret that. Um, there's certain areas in the Bible that's not up for interpretation. Well, it doesn't depend on you interpret it. You interpret it right, you're correct. If you interpret it wrong, you're, you're wrong. wrong. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, obviously the verse, uh, the verse here simply debunks the theory in general. So when people are like, well, what's, how, can you debunk this? I'm like, yeah, read the verse. There, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Life for life is pretty specific. And I think there's a reason why Moses started off with that. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 is probably one, the most popular uh, pro-life verse. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, and I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So he says, you formed my inward parts. You know, he, you knitted me together my mother, mother's womb. So he's referring to himself in the, in, in, personally. Me, you knitted me together, not a clump of cells together that became me. It is me. And then he says right here, for you saw my unformed substance. Do you know what the unformed substance is? Probably the embryo. Well, that doesn't look like a human. Doesn't mean it's not him. It's just simply unformed substance, but it's still his substance. So again, uh, you can't get around this. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I cons consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So people go, well, this was God prophesying only about the prophet Jeremiah. And you're right. Con contextually, yes, this is talking about Jeremiah. But it also shows that God formed him in the womb and that he was consecrated and was appointed as a prophet. You know what that means? Your life was planned. I had a plan for you. I have a plan for people. I have a plan for all things. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this in my Black Lives Matter part two. Everyone has a plan. And at the very least, if we want to take the most um, vague understanding of this verse, then at the very least, Jeremiah was planned by God, and God and, uh, understood him as a human before he was born. But guess what? No one else knew that. So before you go think, oh, this isn't Jeremiah, you don't know that. You don't know that, that God doesn't have a specific plan for that kid, too. Exactly. Job 31.15, did not he who made me in the womb make him? Did not me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? So again, right there, notice how he's talking about we are created in the womb, but he's not saying you, you came from the womb. He's not giving personhood after the womb. Yeah. He's saying, no, this is happening in the womb. You are a person. Psalms 22.10, on you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. 
<laughs> well, there goes that argument. And then there's also this idea, and this is where we're going to get, so for those of you who have children nearby and you don't want to explain what certain words mean, you might want to walk away, turn this away from them. But there are verses even, so okay, this is how serious we're talking about God's life. Did you know God takes things like ejaculation just as seriously? You know, so seriously, just like a man's sperm is taken sacredly. In Deuteronomy 23, 10 through 11 says, if any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, so this is what we would call quote unquote wet dream, so to speak, a nocturnal emission, uh, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, mikvah, baptism. And as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. Also, it says in Leviticus 15, 16, if a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. Now, please watch my baptism video to understand what this means. There's a What is baptism, if you're curious? But right here, it's talking, again, there is, even in ancient Israel, if you simply... Um, for those of you who do not know, men can ejaculate in the eve at night when they sleep. The, um, and when this happens, there's a whole purity thing behind it. Like God has a whole ritual laid out. Like, hey, you know why? Because even the seed, even the semen, the sperm, whatever you want to call it, even that is considered sacred as a part of the beginning of life. And I think it's good to point out from a scientific perspective, and this is something that... that um, pro-abortionists will bring up is like, well, you know, okay, well, if you, if, you, uh, if you let semen go everywhere, then you're just committing mass genocide. And that is not what these verses are saying yeah. at all. And from a scientific perspective, that's also wrong. Yeah. Just, it's just blatantly wrong. Right. Well, and that's, uh, I had a, like I said, well, every time I masturbate, then I would be considering ma committing mass genocide. It's like, no, it's not the life. It is considered the seed of man. Right? It's the seed of man. It's the beginning of a life. It is the thing that plants to create the rest. The seed is a great way to put it. This is the beginning of life. So he was to go out for the loss of his potential life. That's why this whole thing was here. It was even mourning the loss of a potential life and cleanse himself for the possibly life lost. Same with a woman's menstruation, which now we get to get into that. So those of you who are clammy around periods, Turn off the video. Um, Leviticus 18.19, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. That means you cannot be <laughs> having sex with her when she's on her period. Um, that, that is something that goes against God. Uh, it is because again, there's a passing of an egg, which is the beginning of a life, is part of a life, is the seed, the seed is planted within the egg. And so God, is, so again, if God, this is God just taking the potential of life this seriously, let alone when it has already been planted. Mm -hmm. uh, Leviticus 15, 19, when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, then shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And again, this goes into the, the idea of um, there's moral uncleanness, there's ritual uncleanness, uh, there's a whole bunch of things I can't get into in this video theologically. So, now, uh, with all that out of the way, again, the whole point there is the potential of life, let alone the, actual, the actuality of life being fertilized. Um, but then some pro-choice Christians will cherry-pick the Bible. And this happens to a lot of people who are just trying to prove a point. They find proof texts that kind of conveniently fit 
Uh, again, I recommend reading Is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen. Uh, it's a great book as far as a starting point with this, not necessarily the great best place. I'm not the best place, the only place, but it's a great place to start. But uh, did you want to hit any of these or you want me to take it away? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so there's pro-choice verses that people will use, and I want to clarify this right now. So people use numbers 5, 11 through 31, which I'm not, I don't have, I'm not going to quote that. It's 11 through 31. It's a long process. Basically, if there's a question about a woman with her purity, they, she would drink this certain dust, and then it say that her, her leg would swell, and that her, her, her stomach would basically discharge, and it basically tries to imply the fact that this could be a weird ritual abortion. Uh, read numbers 5, 11 through 31 for more details if you want that, and then we'll talk about this. But the claim is, is that this shows an induced abortion through the dusty water. <laughs> That's the claim. Well, see, they did abortions there. But here's the thing. The, the, this, this is actually untrue, and never anywhere is a child even mentioned. Merely a swelling of the abdomen and a falling away of the thighs. So according to the ancient Jewish tradition, and it's important to go through Jewish traditions here, which are recorded in the Mishnah, a woman who was pregnant or was nursing a child was not even allowed to legally undergo this ordeal at all. Oops. Oops. So again, before you start pulling proof text, you better understand the context of what, how this was played out. In fact, Josephus had a brief commentary, and he spoke about a belly swelling with discomfort and the right leg being popped out of joint, um, but it was not dealing with a miscarriage. So do your research on this. Check that out. Also, Deuteronomy 28.53, the claim is that Israel was told that they could eat their own children. Therefore, God approves. This is a weird argument, but this is usually used by atheists who try to disprove God because he mentions the fact that you will eat your own children during this time of judgment. Um, and this is the is-ought fallacy. So this is the is-ought fallacy. Just because it is in the Bible doesn't mean it ought to be something that's happening, okay? Just because something is recorded doesn't mean it ought to be. Just because someone records and there is a murder doesn't mean there ought to be a murder, okay? This is an is-ought fallacy. It bothers me that people do this with the Bible, but... This entire picture in Deuteronomy in 2853 was talking about famine and destitution due to, guess what, disobeying God's objective morality, which is these things are bad. Don't do these things, including eating your children, but you've disobeyed me. So you're going to fall into famine and start eating your children because you're a bunch of disobedient, unlawful people. That's his point here. So, um, so the point is that, you know, if you don't follow God's objective morality, that things will result in horrible genocides. So we see this happen in 2 Kings chapter 6. This king, Elisha, clearly was speaking to him to obey the Lord, but Israel didn't. So he was wanting them to obey, they didn't. Hence why they were under siege, and this is shown even more by the killing of children, just how morally destitute those people were at this time. So again, it's an is-ought. 2 Kings chapter 8 is another one pro-choice people try to use in, in the biblical justification. And their claim is that God is okay with having children ripped from their mother's womb. <laughs> and again, it's almost like they don't read other parts of, this, of the Bible when they're reading this part of the Bible and trying to take things into context. Yeah. Um, it's just this particular verse backs my point, and I'm not going to care about what the rest of the Bible says. So obviously the rebuttal is, once again, context is the enemy here, which is so often the point with people. Context of the enemy here. Elisha makes clear that this was an evil on the land of Israel. Quote, evil on the land of Israel. Not saying it's okay. And the king, quote, shall surely die as judgment. Doesn't sound like God's approving of that when it's a prophet. <laughs> it's yeah, it sounds actually opposite. <laughs> quite opposite. 
so there are more, but most of all, they deal with generic, bombastic warfare languages of the day. Like, we're going to go, we're going to burn down their cities, we're going to kill their women, we're going to destroy their children, we're going to make them just regret to ever live. If you read the book of Joshua, you hear a lot of this language. And if you study Near East, Middle Eastern, ancient language, this is warfare language. They use this all the time. It's like a gross exaggeration. It's like you're getting people pumped to just, we're going to destroy our enemy. That's yeah. kind of the idea. Um, you might not like that, but again, you have to remember the fact that you're reading over that with American Western eyes and not culturalized back then, which is a little bit more different. So it's just exaggerated language of the ancient Middle East. In fact, we actually know, if you read other parts of the Torah and whatnot, that you weren't allowed to just go rape, kill women, destroy their children, and all these different things. But anyway. Uh, so the others are the other things that they deal they talk about are dealing with poetic prophecies, just graphically given the idea of God's judgment. So when God's talking about judgment, God is here, guess what, guys? God is allowed to kill and God's allowed to give life. He's the author of life and death. We, as humans, as being equals in the image of God, do not are, and are not given that authority. No. So he's allowed to bring judgment, you are not. Hence why vengeance is mine, says the Lord God. But, so we have to understand, as I mentioned before, two seconds ago, God gives life. Acts 17, 25 to 26, it says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life. So right here, it says he gives them mankind life and breath and everything. God is the author of life. You can also read Jeremiah 38, 16 for more. It says, as the Lord lives who made our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you in the hands of those who men who seek your life. So again, he controls life. Also, we see that God controls death, Job 14. 14.5, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. So God, Job is saying, hey, God has appointed these, these determinations. God says who's, when people live or die. Psalms 31.15, many times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of mine enemies and from my persecutors. He's saying that God has authority over these things. There's a lot more you could go there. There's Daniel 5.23 and Isaiah 38.5. He goes, I will add 15 years to your life. So he's actually saying, I will give you more life. So God is the author of life and death. Point in case. He's able to give and take away life. You as a human is not, are not. If there's a life that is born, that is not your choice. Or there's a life that is conceived, that's not your choice to take or give. It is God's. Exactly. So let God have his perfect plan. If there's going to be a tragic, horrible health problem, let it play through, love your child through it, and treasure what time you have with them. And there's been a lot, lot of instances people talk about where a doctor is trying to convince them to have an abortion because of some test they had, and they have a, uh, a moral conundrum with and they go, I'm not going to go through the abortion, I'm just going to see what happens. And there's so many instances of, the, of those mothers coming through and go, oh, my kid was perfectly fine, they're wrong. Glad I didn't make that mistake. That happened to my cousin, my cousin uh, Jacob. Uh, he had spina bifida and all these, and they were like, oh, with some of this, we're not sure if he's going to live. You want to abort? And she's like, no, I've had like 17 miscarriages. I'm having my child. And guess what? He's like 12 years old. Uh, also, um, it's worth noting, you have a friend of yours that has a daughter with trisamine 18. Mm -hmm. And guess what? She's what, five, four? She's, yeah, she's getting up there in years. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, well she lived further than we thought. And yeah, you were going to rob how many years yeah. with a recommended abortion from that child? Anyway. Every life is precious. Every life is precious before I God. I think we've really laid out here the biblical case for uh, from a Christian perspective. So again, if these things are in his control, if these things are in God's control, even if he were the one to execute judgment and death, to which we know he does, 
then that is not only his right, but he is just in doing so. We know God is perfectly good. So him doing this, and again, it's not the end for any child. They go to heaven. And I had one person even ask me, well, if every child goes to heaven, should I not kill them anyway? I'm like, no, because you are literally now being God. You know, God has a plan for that life. You don't know the good that he, that child is going to do for everybody else. So it's a silly argument. But to disagree also, to say, well, no, God is unjust. Well, hence why not only is he higher than our ways, because, you know, you might be like, oh, the problem of evil or all these other things. Why is there suffering? Well, not only is he higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts, but he sees the big picture and knows all things. He knows the finished art piece before we do. Mm -hmm. So to sit there and claim that we somehow know the end better than he does, when he's literally the one who separated the end from the beginning, is... Really prideful on our parts, very arrogant. Yeah. Um, so um, then also plus death is the only is only the enemy of those who don't have faith, and that's one of the things that people talk about. Well, well they're going to die, or we talk about death. It's like, well, no, it's only the enemy of those who are held accountable to God. So they're not children because children are not held accountable before God. Has bar mikvah and all these other things. Yeah. But it's all, only an enemy for those who don't have faith in God. Otherwise, it's merely the end of the temporary and the beginning of the eternal. It's a great way to put that. It's death is only uh, the end of the temporary and the beginning of the eternal. The question is, where's your faith? Mm -hmm. And so if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone, his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ, and congratulations, death is not your enemy. Uh, there's literally a song that I sing at church called Fear is Not My Guide. And the very last, uh, last phrase of the song is um, I, that fear is not my guide, death is on my side. And if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about it. Something to think about, too, as we're in the middle of coronavirus stuff and everything else and a lot of fearful Christians, it's like, no, death is not something to be afraid of. Exactly. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, so do not sit there and be controlled by it. Not saying you can't be prudent and wise, but, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, any final thoughts? I just, I think, uh, sorry, Brenda, for invoking your name again, and this was not meant to be <laughs> a video directed towards you, but, again, just some of the things we wanted to bring up. We did a lot of research for it because we wanted to be factual, we wanted to be truthful, and um, we want to have a productive conversation. And we, I think we truly believe that unity comes through truth. And we're not trying to hide any facts. Like I said, we even brought up uh, counterexamples to our perspective so that we could talk about them. And I think any of us, or all of us that are having this conversation, should be eager to learn more so that we can have the best argument and can know that we're standing on truth. If someone has a better argument that makes you go, hmm, then you need to keep researching. Uh, don't don't be mad that someone brought up a, a point that felt like a gotcha. Think about it, pray about it, research it, and the, you will find unity through truth. And that's one of the biggest problems that people have a lot of opinions but not a lot of research behind them. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a guy today. He's like, "Well, I haven't researched that much," but he had a strong opinion about it, and I was like, "Dude, you can't. Yeah. We got to do this." So there is unity in truth, and there's not unity in falsehood. There's no unity in lies. So we may as well pursue the truth. And there are certain things that are more ambiguous, like, you know, we can talk about theological stances and, oh, how exactly do we approach this particular topic? But there is unity in that even. There is a unity in how we approach that. Certain positions and mentalities are more valid than others. Yeah. But again, this isn't a, to attack anybody. This is just an education thing. Like, we, we need to talk about this. And, you know, I'm not saying I, we are oracles of truth uh, on everything, but I would say on this matter, is something that you and I have taken very seriously and researched a lot. And I would encourage you to do the same, you know? Um, 
don't be don't be scared. And this isn't to like I said to, to Brenda. This isn't to invoke your name again and just attack you. It's just if we're Christians, we need to be standing on truth, which means we need to be standing on not just statistics and legality, but morality. Not just any morality, but God's morality, which means it's got, it's got to come from His Word. We got to follow Him in all ways. So, anyway, um, thank you guys for tuning in. Is there any any other thoughts? No, I think uh, thank you for listening to our second split this episode and we'll continue to do some more of these. Yeah, and if you have other requests that you'd like to hear us kind of have a conversation and approach specifically on splitting topics that cause division and you want us to do a split this episode, message us on any social media or the church split at gmail.com. We'd love to have a conversation. Uh, we'd love to do those videos. And uh, if you haven't already, check out our Patreon page. This is not easy to do. This just happens. We're a bunch of nerds. We're very passionate about uh, God's truth and all truth is God's truth. So please, if you haven't already, if you haven't at all, just go on go on our Patreon page and give us five bucks or something like, hey, thank you for your information. You helped us out. Um, and if not, check out our merch as well. We got some fun merch. Uh, I really enjoyed writing item descriptions for some of them. Not our basic logo, but all the other fun designs. And guys, thank you guys for tuning in. Please leave a comment below, like, and subscribe to the channel. And my name is Will. My name is Brian. And this has been The Church Split.